Hi, and welcome to the Pit Permaculture Podcast number 10, recorded live at the Australian Permaculture Convergence 2018. This time around, Pip editor Robin Rosenfeld speaks in depth with Mariam Issa, founder of the Raw Garden in Melbourne. Mariam has long inspired us here at Pip Magazine with her group Resilient Aspiring Women, and in issue 10, we feature an interview with her about the power communal gardens and women have to transform and heal society. Mariam is an incredible storyteller and has a powerful story to tell. We hope that you enjoy it. So I'm here today with Mariam Issa. We're at the Australian Permaculture Convergence in Canberra and Mariam has been sharing her story about her journey and we've been talking about what it means to be a woman and a change agent, so someone who's making change in society and how we do that as women. So welcome, Mariam. Thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you so much, Robin. Uh, it is a great pleasure to be in this convergence and thank you for inviting me. Um, I believe, I feel that I have got so much out of it than I have given. Mm. And I, I think our conversation today is, um, I think, a setting for women moving forward. Mm. and coming together as change agents. Uh, we do see that our world is at a crossroads mm. and that we need to, um, to bring our geniuses into the forefront so that we can help and support the world to heal. Mm. I honestly believe that the world is going through what it is because of the war inside women. I mean, when women are the casualties of war, because most often the person, the oppressor who is starting the war and uh, the oppressed, the families who want to defend their families, the men who want to defend their families are at war with each other. But the casualties usually are women and children and mm. elders. So I believe that... That war, the war of women being raped, the war of a woman not having the capacity or the capability to be able to feed her own or to have young children and not being able um, to take care of them mm. in um, dire circumstances is just something that we all watch and see. But sometimes when it's in our faces, that way we kind of switch off. Mm. Because it's so much to take. And I think for a lot of us as women, we have been in that space of powerlessness. Mm. Like, what can we do? And myself as a witness to these uh, atrocities, having been in, um, in adversity myself and having been a refugee who has fled her homeland, I saw that firsthand mm. and I saw the women that I was talking about who one of the women was a woman who just had a baby and she did not have anything to feed it mm. so she just put the baby and walked away mm. just shut her ears and didn't want to come back mm. and then I saw um, in a refugee tent a woman sharing a story that her child was hanging on to her when a boat capsized and because she was saving another child, she had to literally uh, rip her, the, the hands mm. of her child off her shoulder to let him drown. And imagine mm. those women living among us. How mm. do they, you know, uh, forgive themselves? And so women are carrying 
those atrocities. They're carrying those memories within them. And that is where the war will continue. And uh, unless women heal, then I don't believe that the war outside will stop. Mm. Yeah. So for those listeners who haven't, who don't know your story, could you mm. just give a, a well, I won't say a quick overview, but <laughs> sort of tell people where you came from before you came to Australia, which was 20 years ago, Mariam mm. um, came to Australia, and the journey you went to before you started up RAW, which is Resilient Aspiring Women, which is an organisation that Mariam has started up to help other women who are going through a similar sort of war because raw backwards is war. Mm. So would you be able to just share that story yep. with us? So briefly my background is I'm a Somali woman um, and in 1991 I, we witnessed the war in Somalia, the civil war that happened. And at that time I, was, um, I had two children and I was pregnant with my third child. My husband was away in the Arab in the Arab world, and I took, you know, I fled Mogadishu to Kismayu, and from Kismayu I fled on boat to Kenya. And the people that I left behind were, you know, uh, my, because all the men were actually protecting us, they were, they stayed in Mogadishu, they didn't come with us on the journey. So I had my mother-in-law, I had my sisters-in-law, I had my grandmother and my mother in Kismayu and I had to leave them behind so that I could be the one who went out and us, you know, um, got help from the outside. And we went on a boat that literally would not translate as a boat in the in in the Australian <laughs> setting mm. because it was a small cargo boat but the cargo it was was human cargo mm. it was holding like 140 people and we were on board three days and three nights mm. with mostly very little food mm. on the third day actually we didn't even have water and food mm. and so it was um that was the most the desperate you know the the lowest that a human being can go you know mm. to be suspended in the ocean mm. with no food no water and um except for the hope in your heart there mm. was nothing else so we only what kept us going was the faith in our hearts and the hope for for the future so during the daylight the children and the turmoil and the cries of hungry um, hungry children and, and elders was just so, so much to bear. Mm. But during the night, it was quiet. And I would look up and I have never seen so many stars in my life. Mm. And that Time, at that time, I realized that there was a source or a power within us that was way beyond what we sometimes um, we sometimes feel and are connected with. And in the nights, I would have this hope that all is going to be well. Mm. And so when we left, yeah, when we came to the shores of Kenya, uh, actually the, the government or the authorities wanted to return us back. 
I was holding a Kenyan passport, but my young children, who were two years and three years of age, mm. did not have a passport. Mm. And so the Kenyan authorities would not let me in. Mm. And they said, you know, you can come in without your children. Mm. And how does a mother leave her babies in a boat that is going to be turned back to, you know, to the where they, mm. it came from? And so... Um, the Red Cross came to our rescue, and that did not happen. But eight years of displacement after that, I came to Australia. And that was 19, November of 1998. Mm. And I came with um, this time four children, and I was pregnant with my fifth child. Mm. And I was lucky, one of the really very lucky refugees, because I came with my husband. I was processed offshore. And I, was, I came with a visa, reunion visa, which meant that we had family in Australia. So we were, and that allowed us to be, you know, um, um, settled really easily. Mm. And so our journey was really smooth. It's not the same for refugees no. in Australia these days. I have witnessed uh, refugee in detention centers. I have worked with a lot of refugees. And I'm literally appalled mm. by, you know, what we are doing as, and I don't want to put blame in anywhere, but, you know, as humans, people who come to these shores asking for support mm. and help. And having been in that journey myself, mm. I really, I feel like you have no idea, yeah. you know, what it does to these people when you turn mm. them back. Because it does not only the damage of being unsettled, but it's a deeper damage of not being wanted mm. and not being belonging. Having been, you know, driven away from your homeland and then coming and asking at your most vulnerable time mm. for help and being rejected. Mm. I think that does a lot of and damage. And not just rejected, but locked up and treated locked like a up criminal. And, yes. So it does a lot of damage to the human spirit. Mm. But the power is in um, the community. I have seen people who literally work very hard, who, you know, um, do not accept what the leaders are doing and are just normal community members and are going out there to support the refugees. Mm. And I have worked alongside people like that, and I'm so proud to say that as Australians, I think Australia is a really good place. And, you know, we have an incredible people mm. among our communities who do welcome as well. So despite the fact that there are negatives, I think it's really important as well that we tell our stories in a positive way. Mm. And we also reflect so much on the posi positivity of what we see. Because sometimes we dwell on the negatives and... I think that also has a big consequence on on our growth as well. Mm. Mm. So in your journey, when you arrived here, you settled into Brighton in Melbourne and you had your own journey of um, how you settled in. And Do you want to tell us what that was like for you? 
Yeah, um, my journey was a really hard one because I came to Australia without no prior knowledge of the Western mm. culture and um, having been settled in a very um, affluent and a very white suburb was one of the hardest things because I think when we came to Brighton, not many Africans lived in it. And uh, even the Brightoners were, you know, they didn't know what, it was like to live, you know, uh, to have an African um, family as, mm. as, as a neighbor. And so I think our hustle started very early days. But I think as families who came with children, um, we did not have to, we did not have time to dwell on that. You know, we had to, mm. you know, and, and for us as well, it's eight years of displacement. You just feel like you're so tired. You just want to, mm. you know, um, yeah. So the first two years actually were not, you know, we didn't have anything to do with the community, but we didn't mind because our children were going to school and we were being settled. And I was feeling like, okay, now I'm making, you know, life's becoming routine. Mm. I think for humans, it's when our life becomes routine and we don't have much to do anymore that we start in the, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, reflecting about, you know, the need for belonging and the need yeah. for all that. But when the basics are missing, none of that is really, you, can't, you know, you don't, have time to. you don't have time to reflect on all that. So um, so then another a tragedy happened the September 11 mm. happened after the two years mm. and then it, we became again very vulnerable in Brighton because mm. we were Muslims in Brighton and very visible Muslims so we were not only black this time but we were also Muslim and that was a big you know I felt the you know the community sometimes there is that assumptions made about you mm. and when that those assumptions are silent assumptions you feel the energy and we felt very fearful at those those time and those days and we actually pulled our children out of the normal schools to Islamic school okay and so I used to commune from Brighton to Noble Park which is a 40 minute Mm. every morning 40 minutes and 40 minutes back and also because we were still dependent on the welfare and we didn't have much money and the Islamic schools were private schools mm. so we had four children in private mm. school so that was another you know yeah yeah people in turmoil so you then um sort of came around like you've talked about the different stages you went through Mm. Um, you went through a stage of feeling depressed and then angry, but through going through those stages, you then came to a positive place and you learnt a lot about what you needed to do to heal. Mm. What what was that journey? Yeah. So the those journey, the journey, the first um, that first phase of my journey was uh, finding myself in how do I belong in this community. And I think for me, I, I came to understand that culture is a currency. Mm. And our currency was really inflated. We couldn't buy anything with our cultural currency because no one understood it. Mm. And then even when we were given the currency of the community that we had come into, we couldn't buy anything because we didn't understand it. Mm. So it was a time of real turmoil and I felt a really, I felt a very helpless. And that's where my phase of victimhood was. And also then again, I started to journal and I started to, to, to reflect upon the war in Somalia, what had happened and everything, you know, the clash, having been separated, this woman who had never, ever 
gone away from her community and lived all her life in a communal um, dependency kind of system is now in an independent system where she where I had no idea how to deal with that mm. and also I was um, starting to look at the community around me and the women in it who were the community you know are very much involved in the community they were women the doctors that I visited they were the teachers of my children they were the community organizers and so you know having this looking at that was sort of you know did something to my own self-esteem i felt like how could one you know woman live this life and i come from desperation and you know Mm. and destruction so questioning that was the time for my for my depressional state Mm. and then somehow i i and the amazing thing about those reflections that i made were when I was in that state, the people around me were also in that state. Like mm. my friends around that time were people who were also dealing with um, similar circumstances. Okay. And they were not only Somali women or African women, but they were also uh, Western women who were going through abuse in, in their relationships mm. and who were feeling really victimized in, in, the, in their lives. And so somehow I moved from something clicked for me and I, and I think what really clicked and took me to my next stage, which is an anger stage, was when my daughter, who was four years old and reached the age of kinder, and I was looking for a kinder in, in the community, mm. and nothing bad was really said, but we received a very frosty um, reception. And when we came out, she asked me um, a question that I, you know, literally changed the trajectory of my family. She said, Mom, did they not want me because I'm black? Mm. And so that question sort of of was was sort of a slap in the face for me Mm. because it was, you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself anymore. (laughs) You wake up. So that wake-up call drove me into the anger space and I started to become really angry at the systems that have created for me to be in the situation that I was. And so it was so much better than being a victim, by the way, Mm, (laughs) because you could point your fingers at other people and you could see all the things why your life wasn't working right. And, you know, so you were angry at your husband, you were angry at your children, you were angry at everything, you know, that was around you. Mm. And then um, the same thing happened. I realized when I was that angry, the people around me were also angry. Mm. You know, I was working with activists. I was working with people who were telling me how uh, everything that we saw everything that was wrong with the world. Mm. And we were pointing fingers and it was like, this was happening and that. And although we did do some work in that area, but that kind of work wasn't proactive. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it was completely, you know, it just gave me the ability, I believe, to really stand up again mm. and not be, when you're in depression, you're, you're down. Yeah. So it, it gave it me that power. You. Yeah, it empowered me. And it's a, I think it's a, great spa- it's a great phase to go through after depression. Mm. And then somehow one day I realized that if, what kind of a world did I ever did I really want to live in? Mm. Was, um, was I going to be angry all my life or did I have to, you know, uh, imagine a better world for myself? And I think um, 
adversity calls for the stretch of imagination. To get out of adversity and to really claim your power back calls for the stretch of the imagination. Mm. And that's the space where I sort of took my power back. Mm. And I felt that I needed to do something different. And was that when you started the garden? The garden, no. I started an organi- I started a business called Cook with Mariam. Okay. And I went back to Brighton Homes. So I started, you know, a lot of uh, different projects. So that project was actually a business. And I went back and I, I wanted to teach um, the, the wealth of our nation and okay. to, to give the currency, my, my cultural currency, a strength mm. so that I could, you know, I, it could have meaning again. And people could understand and I could deal with, with others through this currency. And it paid off. I did a lot of work with, uh, with my cooking classes. I even um, cooked with Andrew Gaze oh, really? on television. Oh, so, great. Yeah, so I went on television. I was featured on a lot of audi- auditorials. And, you know, it just became a little bit of an outlet for me yeah. to share my story. Yeah. And then after that, I think that gave me a, a bit, you know, an incredible power of courage to, and, and, and knowing that I can do more. Mm. So, but during those that, that transaction and that um, working through that space, I realized that our biggest um, divide or what we lacked in our world was trust. Mm. There was a big trust deficit. And that's when I opened the community garden in 2012. And so the community garden was in your own backyard? The community garden was in, in my own backyard. I've always wanted to work with women. And I, in, in, this, in this time and, of my journey, I realized that women needed healing. And I remembered the stories that were told around um, the gathering that my grandmother would always, you know, there, there is, um, in our Somali culture, we say Shah and Sheko. Every Friday, women would gather in okay. someone's home and they would tell stories and drink tea together. And so I just, I didn't want something really huge about um, from this I just wanted to bring women together from diverse cultural backgrounds mm. to just have tea mm. and talk and hold that space for them and incredibly the organization became something more than that mm. yeah and it reached many uh, community organizations uh, we were the first year that we started it's I think the second year we were invited to Queensland we went, my partner and myself went, and I had a very incredible woman, a German woman who was my neighbor at the time, whom we started the organization together. And so we went to Queensland, we talked about the organization. We just, a lot of incredible things happened through that. And it was all because of the power of intention. Yeah. Because we, and when, I planted the seed of raw. It was an intention of all women who would benefit this garden will come on their own. And all women who would be benefit to this garden, who would want to benefit from the garden, would come on their own. Mm. And from there on, something magical happened. So women would just come and say, oh, I want to offer this and this to raw. And some women would come and say, oh, does Ro do this, this? I'm struggling with this. Can I have this help, support? Mm. Yeah. So it and was who incredible. were the women that were coming to Ro? 
Or who are uh, the women? The women who come to RAW are community women from the Brighton um, um, community, but also from around Melbourne. Yeah. Um, people sometimes walk from the street and they just see the, our, sign, our signage outside. Mm. They just come in. But what now um, established, we work and collaborate with a lot of different organizations, collaborate with Storytellers Victoria, okay. who are oral storytellers. And we had many and incredible storytellers come to the garden and tell stories. Um, we have also cooking classes and we ask community members to, um, to cook um, from their cultural Mm. And different, we have had, I think, more than 20 different cultures come and cook. So they, they share the culture behind the cuisine right. and talk about how they were taught, how they loved the, you know, our cooking and the culture behind it. And it's just incredible. We even had um, the Mapuche culture of Chile. Mm who are the native cultures of, of Chile, mm. um, do a song and uh, the indigenous. So they they were literally, they just, we supported the guy who invited them uh, through the raw garden. So they came to the garden and they performed okay. for us. And it was incredible. So, yeah. 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 So there's a diverse range of nationalities that come and that come, share. And absolutely, and diverse activities. So we have we create things as well. So it's a space for arts and craft, and also the gardening, the permaculture gardening mm. behind it as well. So it was designed by uh, a woman called Karen Hensley, who is a perma who owns a permaculture design. And she designed the garden for us and Great. worked with us for a year until the garden was really established. And how does the gardening, the act of gardening together, how does that help and how does that work? That really helps like uh, in the sense that when, you know, women come and garden together. Some women come because they've let, they, they now live in small, uh, small places and they've let go of their big gardens. Mm. Um, some women come and have no idea how to garden, but they want to try. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, in the early days we did have schools. So we invited the local schools like Brighton Secondary and, yeah. yeah. So, um, the, so the students came and they, they, you know, built our pond and they helped us, you know, with our decorations for our pavilion. We have a big pavilion in the backyard, which was built for us by Rotarians. Mm. And then we have an incredible organization that we work with called Igniting Change. And they built us a beautiful kitchen. Mm. So, um, and all those things happen just from a place of trust mm. and no other transactions are exchanged. Yeah. So that's incredible. And yeah. I think um, what the, this community garden has done for us and for myself and my family is it has really taught us um, family beyond blood relations mm. and the power of community. Yeah. Yeah. So in our African cultures, we say it takes a whole village to raise a child. Yeah. And um, I am. I think the garden has given me wisdom enough to add to that uh, saying that when we nurture the woman, we nurture the village. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Saying. Yeah, yeah. So for women who, are, what advice would you give women who are experiencing hardship or are feeling angry against something? Where, how could they turn that into a positive to become empowered to make change? 
I think women have um, to stop looking at their life, their, themselves as victims. And I, th I, I can only say that because I have been in that space. And there is a power that is way beyond us when we embrace. Um, that power resides not in, you know, it resides in all women. And I do believe that for a long time, women need permission slips to be told that, they, you know, you can do this and you're okay. And, and that's not actually a weakness. That is the power of women and the sharing of our vulnerability mm. and for women to allow that to happen. Um, in these spaces, what I really discovered, especially for, from the Western woman, is that she hates to be vulnerable. Mm. And only in our vulnerability are we strong. So it's okay to ask for help. Mm. And it's okay to support each other. And it's okay to cry when you mm. need to. Mm. And I think it's, it's, it's really important that we hold these spaces for each other. Mm. And my, there's a beautiful saying that, um, that really um, my mother once told me and is, I believe, the basis of why I started Raw Garden. And the saying is, if we can host a person in our heart, we can host them in our homes. Mm. So I think that is the, the calling for that is to forgive mm. and to let go of grievances. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mariam. Thanks for sharing your wisdom. Thank you, Robin, for having me and uh, for making me be part of, you know, this incredible journey. Mm. And I think our journey has started. Yes, definitely. And yeah, yeah, we're going to do so much Our journey together. together. Our journey together, <laughs> absolutely. Great. Yeah. Okay, thank, thank you. you. You have been listening to the PIP Permaculture Podcast. To read more about Mariam Issa and healing gardens around the country, grab the latest issue of PIP by subscribing at www.pipmagazine.com.au or visiting your local stockist. Stay tuned for our next podcast by subscribing to Pit Permaculture Podcast via SoundCloud or the iTunes app.